the Christian Circle podcast and you're listening to Pamela Fernandez where we have conversations about Christian living. Here's the show. Bridget, tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, introduce yourself to our audience and your ministry. Okay, so I currently work with um, the Salesians of St. John Bosco and I have for uh five years now, prior to my work within a parish uh, and at a retreat center as uh, in retreat formation, retreat direction, and um, youth ministry, I lived as a, for a year as a, um, a domestic missionary with the Salesians here in Tampa. I've received incredible formation by them, and I'm truly grateful to God for this experience and for Don Bosco and his charism and his gift to the church. I am now, uh, although I'm still actively involved in a parish, I have a uh, an apostolate on the side called Travelers of the Holy Family, mm-hmm. where we um, we help accompany families uh, with faith formation, practical tips on how they can develop holiness in everyday life. So, it's it's a pretty rewarding ministry, and um, hopefully in this coming year, I'll be focusing all of my time on that apostolate as I step away from the work here with the Salesians. And you're also getting your degree in theology? I am uh, studying at Holy Apostles College Seminary, which is in Connecticut. It's a small liberal arts college um, with a uh, a pretty solid theological program, rigorous program. So uh, I'm excited about that. Please pray for me. (laughs) Sure. So you had a lot of exposure uh, to families, right, over the the last few years. You've seen uh, families and how prayer and faith works with families, right? Oh, yeah, without question. The family right now is something that the church is focusing on intensely. And I can't think um, of one ministry, even in youth ministry. Youth ministry, we can't compartmentalize it and say, okay, it's for uh, people to this age, because it truly is, in its authenticity, a family ministry. Mm -hmm. Um, And I know that we do all that we can to keep entire families involved here, not just the young people, which is a primary focus, but also their parents, their grandparents, aunts, uncles, friends, and we do what we can to make them part of our family, which that was one of the, the aspects of Don Bosco's oratory criteria, was the home that welcomes. So that home that welcomes really has a family spirit. Just like Don Bosco, there are lots of saints who actually come from very holy, pious families, and their families shape them uh, in becoming saints. So what role does a family have in shaping saints for the future? The primary um, role of the family as the domestic church, and I think this is something that um, especially now in, in the era that we live, that families, moms and dads, need to refocus on, or whatever the family demographic is. Mm-hmm. Um, sadly, that's the ideal, but that's not often the reality mm-hmm. um, with a lot of the families that we work with, that the, the family themselves are the primary formators of their children. Mm-hmm. So the church exists um, to support the family in their mission to get to heaven. And marriage in and of itself as as a vocation is something that should be discerned mm-hmm. um, with the same seriousness that we would discern any authentic vocation mm-hmm. and something that one enters into 
knowing the reality of the much bigger picture. I mean, it's, and I see this all of the time, you know, especially with young people. Um, there's this great desire within both young men and young women um, to be loved. And, mm -hmm. and that's a natural desire that's put there by God himself. Mm -hmm. uh, that can only then be fulfilled by God himself. Mm -hmm. But we often um, look for, uh, I think there's an old song from the 80s, looking for love in all the, all the wrong places. Mm -hmm. um, we often look for love in all of the wrong places, and people um, rush into marriage mm -hmm. not fully understanding what that then means for them in their life, what it means for their children. Mm -hmm. um, as a place, as a school of life and love, a place that's supposed to foster authentic holiness and, and a place that's supposed to nurture uh, uh, young people and old people alike and, and be really a foundational place of life, love, and virtue. Mm -hmm. So the role of the family is so central to the church. I mean, John Paul II said during his, his papacy that as the family goes, so the culture goes, and so goes the whole world. So um, the family is so central in the mission of the church. It's the domestic church. Mm -hmm. It's the church under the under, you know, the small roofs of people's homes. Mm -hmm. So it's really the place where uh, where formation begins. Mm -hmm. And I'm glad you mentioned this because a lot of times parents think that the faith formation should start in the church. That it should start with the catechism, when actually it should start at home, right? The church actually teaches that, that the, the moms and dads are the primary catechist. Mm. So that's something I think that uh, parents need to, to, uh, to understand more about. And that's part of marriage formation. I mean, if they're, if they're working with a good priest in their premarital formation, if they're working with a good married couple, whoever it is that they're working with uh, in their local parish, that's one of the lessons that they'll learn pretty quickly is that um, they themselves, mom and dad, are the primary formators of their kids, that the church exists to, to accompany them, to give them the tools necessary to build the faith up in their own home, to be a place where they can turn and ask for uh, tips, pointers, and of course receive the sacraments, mm -hmm. um, which it brings life to any family, but um, that they themselves, that mom and dad are the, are the primary formators, and they learn more with mom and dad than, than with anyone, or whatever the demographic is. I say again, ideally it's mom and dad, but sometimes it's just dad or just mom or mom and grandma or, mm -hmm. or whatever it is it happens to be. Mm -hmm. So what are the seven qualities? I know I said seven, but there could probably be more, there could be less. What are the qualities that families should have so that they can produce saints? Okay, so I would say that the first quality, it's a foundational quality um, that they have that, that I think is really uh, um, ought to be a primary focus is it starts with mom and dad. So I think the first thing is that they should take the sacrament of marriage and life mm -hmm. seriously. Mm -hmm. So um, what, one of the I once read that the greatest gift a father can give his children is to love their mother. Mm -hmm. um, so children, um, when they're raised in a home of authentic love, uh, become people of authentic love mm -hmm. when their parents are, are that witness for them. And I think a second thing about marriage itself it's a place where, you know, uh, we get caught up in this arrows when we're entering into relationships, this romantic love. But mm -hmm. what what makes a marriage last is sacrifice. Mm -hmm. So you could read about any saint, your favorite saint, my favorite saint. It matters not. Mm -hmm. um, one of the things that was central in their life was their willingness uh, to sacrifice, mm -hmm. to really love. Mm -hmm. 
I also think that there has to be a mutual respect between parents and then uh, kids, but but at the same time remembering always to parent their children uh, when they're young and not so much be friends with them, although that's good, but um, we can certainly draw a line with that. Uh, I think that there also ought to be um, a loving tenderness and a real kindness where they know that regardless of what goes on in their lives, they can turn back to their own marriage as a place of authentic tenderness mm -hmm. and communication. Um, so if mom and dad take their, their sacrament seriously, um, the kids are going to notice that. Because you, the thing about faith and, and holiness, uh, it can be taught to a point, mm -hmm. but especially with young people, it's almost like it's caught mm -hmm. more than it's taught, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So um, I think one is starting off with uh, with your with your own sacrament, taking it seriously, and being open to life and the church's teaching on uh, family and life. So really um, going through the formation process before marriage, mm -hmm. thinking about it cerebrally, not just with your heart, but of course with your heart also, and then really being in it to win it and, and recognizing that marriage is a place where you go to die you know, to yourself and your own desires so that you can live for others. So that's, that's what I would say is the first rule, foundationally, is the mom and dad a strong relationship. If, if I had to go on more from there, I would say then mom and dad have to be open, and again, this goes back to sacrifice, mm -hmm. to an example and involvement of the larger and extended family. This is something that Pope Francis has really uh, been strong in promoting. Kids are watching everything that, that parents do, and kids are in the home, so there's a certain intimacy um, about family life. It, it's almost like a mystery of the intimacy of the Trinity. Mm. Um, I was recently at a, uh, at a funeral of a, of a young man, um, it was really sad, who, whose daughter spoke at his, his funeral, and she spoke of uh, what a wonderful father her father was, and she said something that really struck me. She said, when we were out, and it was our family, like my mom and my dad and my siblings, it was as though we had our own language, mm -hmm. um, which I think is really beautiful. But that family um, allowed in their own family there to be an extension. It wasn't just mom, dad, and kids. It was aunts, uncles, grandparents, great-grandparents, mm -hmm. and now even new little babies. Uh, the daughter who said this now has a new baby of her own. Mm -hmm. So I think the involvement of extended family is is um, is really important. And not using harsh words about your in-laws, which can, can be tough sometimes. <laughs> I know. But um, leaving those just for, for adult conversations. Never letting the kids hear anything, mm -hmm. anything bad, um, I think is really important. And again, patience, sacrifice, uh, and, and doing um, works of mercy together as a family. And remembering the charity begins at home. Those works of mercy can be extended to the in-laws who maybe really grind your ears and drive, in, <laughs> drive you nuts. Um, <laughs> but I think it's really important for fostering holiness in families. Mm -hmm. So I guess that would be my second point. I think my third point would be uh, the way that you correct kids. Mm. Um, the church has, um, which we've heard of throughout years, is a, is a repressive system. And a repressive system offers a firm correction uh, that is almost rooted in like a fear of not wanting to do it again. 
because you'll be reprimanded for doing it again. And I'm not, because I've been more formed in what's called a preventative system. Mm -hmm. Um, I I think that the preventative system is a better model. It's a correction that's bore out of love. And it's something that, thanks be to God, before I even realized what the preventative system was, I had it in my own family. With my grandmother, I, I, I never wanted to do anything to disappoint her. Mm-hmm. So uh, I tried my best out of love, mm-hmm. so not to disappoint, not for uh, fear of um, being punished or told off or whatever the case might be. I, th- I think it's important for families when it comes to correction to really look at the prevention. Uh, and that takes... That takes time because you have to, again, be willing to sacrifice and be involved in your children's life. Know who their friends are, know what they're reading, know uh, what they're looking at on on phones. Mm -hmm. And this is a debate that I've had with some friends. They're like, well, when do you cross a line of privacy? And I'm like, well, when you're responsible for a soul Mm -hmm. and they're nine years old and 10 years old, your responsibility as a parent, you know, there shouldn't be anything they should keep from you at nine years, 10 years old or 12. And there are many dangers in the world right now, as you know. So I think a parent has a duty and a moral obligation and responsibility to, to look after what their kids are looking after and to correct them in a positive way. Wow. When they, um, when they get out of line, kids are going to be kids and they're going to do things. Mm-hmm. Um, but it takes a, a real sacrifice and a willingness to be involved in your kid's life, in every aspect of their life. Um, and if they're struggling, don't come down too hard on them. Instead, come beside them mm-hmm. and help them uh, do better. And uh, I, I think it, that the families ought laugh, laugh at each other and with each other also to create a healthy environment. So those are some points. Those are only um, a few. I I think we could go on and say another way is to worship together, Mm -hmm. to go to Mass together. Um, I think you can go to almost any parish at any time and see sometimes Dad working on Sunday or Mom Mm -hmm. off doing whatever, or, or even a family missing Mass because of a family reunion. Well, when we do stuff like this, what we do is send a message to our children that this is important, like mm-hmm. the faith, mass is important to a point. Mm-hmm. And then, um, but these other things, when they come along, are more important or just as important as mass. Mm-hmm. So you really got to watch your example um, and worship together as a family. Go to mass together, especially on Sundays and feast days as a family. And another thing, and this might seem simple, and some people might hear this and be like, well, we already do that. But the reality is, is a lot of families don't do it, mm-hmm. uh, is eating meals together. Yeah. So just as simple as eating meals together and coming together around a dinner table. Um, so I think a fifth point I would say is give kids responsibility. Mm-hmm. Um, start, start small around the house. Expect them to clean their room mm-hmm. or do a little something because the world is going to demand responsibility. of them. Our faith demands responsibility. Mm-hmm. You know, in parishes in the West, there seems to be a, it's almost like a graduation ceremony, some of the time, confirmation. Kids will go through their confirmation program, they'll get confirmed, the parents are all on board, but then afterwards, the kids are still 14 years old, Mm. 15 years old, and parents will say, well, I don't want to force them to come to Mass. But I'm like, what? (laughs) I'm... You know, like, you're not forcing them. You're being their mother or father. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, when I was a kid, my mother, uh, God bless her, uh, we couldn't go 20 minutes without her pulling out rosary beads, and I hated it, you know? <laughs> but we never had a choice, and now looking back as, as a grown woman, I'm so grateful to God. Because your vantage point when you're a teenager and your interests when you're a teenager are not the same as they are when you're 25, 35, 55. Mm-hmm. So parents have, they're not going to lose their children's friendship, but they might lose their respect mm-hmm. if they don't, um, if they don't really stand up and fight for what matters. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and kids are going to rebel. It's in their nature to do so. Mm-hmm. But if there really is this school of life, this school of love, and parents have a place or they've done their best to create an environment um, that, like the church, or it's called to be the domestic church, where kids can turn back to and not feel like they're going to be judged regardless of what they've done, but a place where they're going to be loved and accepted. That's a model for the whole church. God loves and accepts um, us, broken sinners. He, he doesn't accept sin but he accepts the brokenness of us sinners and offers a place where we can um, receive his mercy and forgiveness and through his grace and through the sacramental life do better. Mm-hmm. So those are um, some things I would think are, are pretty important in family life. I'm glad you touched on uh, a number of things there, um, especially about attending um, Mass. I think uh, there was this post that I read and it said, that don't force your children to do what you're not doing yourself. So if mm-hmm. you're not praying, you can't ask your children to pray. If you're not attending Mass, you can't ask them to attend Mass. And I think that's the whole crux of it, that your example needs to be perfect. If you believe in the Eucharist, you'll pass that on to your kids. Absolutely, without question. When I was growing up, there was a, um, it was a, like one of these dare or anti-drug commercials where a boy found a box of, of illicit drugs and uh, rather a father found a box of illicit drugs in his son's room. So he takes this box of drugs and he takes the son and he's like, where did you get this? He's mad at him. And the son says back, I learned it from watching you, dad. <laughs> and it's, it's the same thing with faith. You cannot say to your kids, all right, Sunday morning, let's go. Let's do this. If you yourself are not living authentically or striving to live authentically, you cannot say to your kids, all right, we're going to go to confessions. If you yourself are never seen in the line for confessional, Mm. you cannot say to your kids, don't pull out your telephone at the dinner table. If you yourself are continuously distracted because they're going to learn from your example more than your words. And at the end of the day, I think that we all know this talk is cheap. Yeah. Talk is cheap. My my grandmother used to say, talk is cheap and it takes money to buy land. Because when, when, uh, when the pedal hits the metal, and, and this goes to, I say this to catechists too, when in the formation of catechists and youth leaders, peer leaders, I'm like, guys, don't expect these kids to do what you're not willing to do. Mm-hmm. So a leader is out in front of them with the shovel in his hand and then eating after they've all had their full. So parents really have to be willing to set that example. And if it's not important to them, it's not going to be important to their children. If the faith is not important to parents, it's not going to be important to their children. And if, and again, going back to the, what we first said, they can't shift the entire responsibility onto a pastor who has a thousand families under him. You know, you, you got to help the guy out. Yeah. <laughs> you got you to do your best here. So, um, so yeah, you're absolutely right when you say that. 
And, and the pastor's job isn't to be looking after the families. His job is to be hearing confessions and delivering the Eucharist. Those are his only jobs, to be honest. Right. Well, yeah, his primary focus, I mean, priest exists to, to, like, primarily to, as our servants. And I mean, I think that sometimes we get lost in this, like, like, why does your average priest wear black? Your diocesan priest, many religious order priests. It's a symbolic of death to himself. Mm-hmm. So he's come to die, um, and, and especially when he's celebrating the sacraments and he stands in persona Christi, mm-hmm. just like our blessed Lord, mm-hmm. to die so that we may live, mm-hmm. to offer himself uh, through the sacramental life to bring Christ through the sacraments to us mm-hmm. for holy, obviously, the Holy Eucharist, for confessions. But then also, there has to be, and, and I, I work within a parish, so I see this, and this is something that Don Bosco was big on, and Pope Francis has since reiterated, and Pope Francis had a Salusian education uh, before joining the Jesuits. Um, he, he was baptized in Mary Help of Christians Paris in Buenos Aires, and uh, on her on the 24th of every month, actually, I don't know if this is true, but I read it once, that he would make a small pilgrimage to the Church of Baptism, which the 24th of May is Mary Help of Christians mm-hmm. Feast Day. So, so um, the role of the pastor is to take care, as a representative of the bishop in a specific diocese, to take care of the sacramental and spiritual need of his parishioners. He's their, their father, um, their spiritual father. And oftentimes we turn to the pastor and then he can't do it alone. So whatever support system he surrounds himself with in the church um, to solve the needs of the domestic family. Mm -hmm. Now, and I've seen, I have seen pastors pour themselves out, Mm -hmm. think of themselves last. And without some help on the other side, like even sacred scripture says that, you know, um, we have to be willing to help ourselves. Mm. To We have to use the gift of our own free will, which is truly a gift, and shows the love of God to the world, and say, okay, I'm going to meet you halfway here, Lord. Mm. I'm going to do my best. And we ought to say the same things to our pastors. I'm going to do my best to raise my family in the faith, to make sure my kids are not just coming in mass, to Mass, but that they're authentically involved in the youth group, mm. um, that that we are, if we, it, like, to admit about ourselves as parents, if you, we don't know as much about our faith, to make an effort to learn more. Right. Like, be willing to go to adult faith formation or, you know, go through one of these Ascension Press or whatever other, you know, there's loads of resources now mm-hmm. in the church um, to go through one of these formation programs or, and really make this faith our own and not just pin it on the church and the staff of the church and the pastor at the church as, as their job. And then to accept the truth in its fullness and the truth of family life, like that openness to life we spoke about, at the, you know, I actually mentioned at the beginning, to look at the whys behind what the church teaches about family life and see that they're really beautiful and who wouldn't want beauty and truth and goodness, especially in their family. So, yeah, yeah, definitely the families have got to, and I say this to my own siblings. I have three siblings that are married with children. One brother, two sisters. I have my brother and one sister have four children, all little, steps and stairs. The kids are close in age. And my my sister Kathleen has five children. And I'm like, oh, man, you have got your work cut out for you. Because you can send them to Catholic school. You And they're faithful Catholics. You know, mass. I mean, most of them go to mass um, 
more than once a week, as often mm -hmm. as they can, actually. Mm -hmm. And um, But I'm like, it's still, as the primary formator, it's your job to answer those those serious questions that your kids are might not go to their pastor with, mm -hmm. but they might come to you with. Um, so it's your job to know it so that you can give it to them, to receive it as a gift from God, um, to then give it to your children so that, that we can, the family can change the whole culture. Mm -hmm. uh, the family can change culture. Um, one holy mom and dad can change the world. Look at St. Therese's mom and dad. I mean, come mm -hmm. on. It's like a family of saints, you know what I mean? <laughs> it's crazy. So how important is family prayer? I mean, a lot of people today, when they talk about prayer, they're just talking about maybe a short prayer at dinner or a, a, a small prayer before they go to sleep. But how important it is to really spend time, like 40 minutes together, doing a rosary or reading the Bible or... Uh, even a free open prayer. I mean, how important is it to do this daily? Oh my gosh. Okay, so one thing I promote. I'm like the family that prays the rosary together, and I've seen this in in um, in families. Families that gather for the rosary bear such good fruit in their children. Mm -hmm. I've seen, I, and I'm. This is my own eyes have seen kids grow up to have holy and healthy marriages. Um, enter into a religious life or the priesthood, uh, be well-grounded catechetically, morally, and socially, still be able to go with the flow socially. So I think for a family, because the reality is, is most families do not pray together. So I think you mentioned like a prayer before meals is a good place to start, mm -hmm. um, but it is not a good place to end. And the way things generally unfold is um, the, the role of the father in the family is so central. And we have, um, because especially in the culture with which we live here in the West, um, and the I, I live in Florida, and the welfare system in Florida kind of creates a perfect storm that pushes fathers out of homes, which is detrimental to family life. It, they will give people help if, if the father's removed from the home. And if he's there, they expect him to do it. So it creates an environment where it's more convenient if fathers are out of the home. And when fathers lead in prayer is when I see uh, sitting back like and just reflecting. I've never done an actual social experiment, but just reflecting on the, on the things that I have seen. Um, is when the most fruit is bore. Uh, and that's not to discount mothers by no means. A good, strong mother is the heart of every. She teaches her children how to love, how to laugh, how to be human, you know? Um, it's such a complimentary to the father. Um, but if I could recommend anything to any one of my listeners, if you take nothing else from this, this talk, our listeners, your listeners, um, I, I would say the Rosary as a Family is an absolutely powerful, powerful key. Gather your family for 15 minutes a day, and it's going to take sacrifice. It's going to mean that you might miss the first 15 or 20 minutes of your favorite TV show. It might mean that your kids are going to roll their eyes at you and be like, my, my friends are coming over. It might mean that um, your buddies start, start laughing at you and saying, calling you, oh, the prayer guy or father so-and-so or mother so-and-so. It doesn't matter. Because you, the health of your family, the health of your uh, your children's, not just their lives, 
but their souls and uh, and their futures is on the line. Um, and there is nothing. You got to remember the one thing about the rosary, and this is another thing I'll recommend about it, is it's not just a Marian prayer. It is a Marian prayer, of course, um, but it's a prayer that takes us into the mystery and life of Jesus Christ as laid out before as in the gospel. So through praying the rosary, and I would recommend praying the rosary with scripture, your your children then learn about the mystery of Jesus's life, his miracles, his humanity, his His uh, divinity. Um, it's just so beautiful. Um, so it's something I would certainly recommend. And I don't know how much further deeper than that. I mean, I know some families that go to mass together every day and it's beautiful. Um, for an average family, it's probably not as practical, although I wish it was. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's no excuses to, to not playing, praying the rosary, really. It all comes down to 15 or 20 minutes of your time and effort. And it could change. It will bring peace into your family. If, if your circumstances don't change, um, the way that you look at them and the way that they affect you will. And um, so that's something I strongly recommend. Family prayer is central. central. And, and it gives us a hunger also. Um, I think it was Father Patrick Payton that used to say, you remember he, he had, he's a big promoter of the rosary. This was after Fatima and he had this slogan that said, the family that prays together stays together. (laughs) And it's the truth. And, uh, that primary prayer that he promoted, and I too would recommend is the rosary. Uh, I would too recommend Lexio Divina and, uh, Mm -hmm. other prayers, but the one I would keep going back to is the rosary. It's, a reflection on sacred scripture on Jesus's life in the gospel. And it's a strong, it's not just this repetitive prayer, but it's a contemplative prayer that takes us into the heart of the gospel, which is absolutely beautiful. I can say this from, from my own family, because when we were kids, my parents used to force us to do it because we didn't like this. We, we didn't enjoy it at all. But we used to do this every single day after my dad came from work. And now I've realized that the days we don't do a rosary together, there's mayhem. I mean, we're fighting, we're arguing. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> and it, it's funny because I dreaded the thought of the rosary, and I knew, I knew when we got into a car, it didn't matter what friends I had with me. I knew whoop, my mother's little plastic rosary beads came out of her pocket, and she had us in a confined space, so we had nowhere to run. And um, And I would say to her, like, my, you're humiliating me. What are you doing? Why do we have to pray? And if it was somewhere, we were going somewhere for five minutes, this is before anybody knew about St. Faustina or, like, my mother had just heard about Divine Mercy and she was like, hmm, I like that. Boom. So if it was a five-minute ride, we were praying the chapel of Divine Mercy. So, um, but it's not so much like, because I, I don't want people, and I would agree with you, I don't want people to listen and be like, oh, that kind of sounds like superstition. It's not superstition. What it is, is it's, a separation of grace. You know, if we're in communion with someone and we have a relationship with someone, there's a rapport, there's a give, there's a take. But if we shut ourselves off from that communion, and prayer is communion with God. It's a conversation with God. It's as St. Therese of Lisieux said, um, a surge of the heart to God. And when we cut ourselves off from that surge of the heart, we can then be surprised if mayhem happens. I remember there was this old skit years ago um, it was on this television show and there's this old woman and she's standing and she says, um, she goes up to a crowd of people who are crying about the passing of their father. And, uh, she says, Oh, I'm so sorry. I heard that your dad died. And I go, yes, we're devastated. We're devastated. 
And the old woman says, well, what happened? And the daughter says, well, he had cancer. And the old lady says, oh, that's terrible. I'm really sorry to hear that. Was it a surprise? And yes, it was sudden. I mean, just over the last six months and that it, that's it. He was curtains and now he's gone. So the old lady's like, oh, I'm really sorry to hear that. And then she asked his next question and the audience started laughing. The next question was, did he smoke? And the daughter was like, well, yes. And the old lady looks and says, well, I don't understand. It says right there on the box of cigarettes that Surgeon General's warning, you know, may cause cancer. So the same, I mean, it's not the same thing with prayer. I'm not equating it to, to a skit on Mad TV. What I'm saying is, can we really be surprised yeah. when, when we cut ourselves off from grace by not praying? And what, what we'll often see happen, I mean, and this is just working in a power structure, the people that are the most angry with God mm-hmm. and that can't understand when, when stuff goes awry mm-hmm. are people who are not formed in prayer. Mm-hmm. And then when things fall apart around them, they're like, oh, wait a minute, I don't get it. And I'm like, where's Jesus in all of this? See, so, um, so staying connected to the source of life brings life. Mm-hmm. Cutting yourself off from the source of life can only bring death. So we can't be surprised when, when mayhem happens. We ought not be surprised anyway. What is your best advice to families right now, today, who want to start afresh? My best advice to families right now, if I could speak to the heart of families right now, I'd say, look, life is messy. Marriage is messy. Family life is messy. But it's absolutely worth it. Because nothing worth having is easy. So if you want to take this serious, then be willing to sacrifice, be willing to set the best example you can, be willing to say to God, I want to be a saint. I want to be a saint. And uh, I want to give me the grace to do whatever it takes to become a saint, not just for myself, but for my family. Help me help us become saints together and then pray. If you keep asking God, that's a prayer he will answer every single time. Um, he'll take time. He'll start chipping, <laughs> chipping away at you. And then don't be afraid when when you're going through the fire. He's still with you. And, and anything beautiful, any great sculpture or great piece of pottery has to go through the fire first. So don't lose faith when that happens. Study the course. Pray. Um, sacrifice. Don't give up. Mm-hmm. Don't give up. And uh, and just be willing to love and laugh at life and laugh at yourself. Great. You'd, you know, you'd make a very good marriage counselor. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for that. <laughs> consider that in, wow. as part of your ministry in the future. Well, thank you for that. Thank you. So if people want to find you, Bridget, where can they find you and where can they reach out to you and write to you? So I'm actively on Facebook at Travelers of the Holy Family. Um, you can find me on Facebook at Bridget Costello, uh, C-O-S-T-E-L-L-O, uh, or you can visit our website at Travelers, that's a 2L, T-R-A, two L's rather, T-R-A-V-E-L-L-E-R-S of the Holy org. So it's Travelers of the Holy org. Check us out on Facebook. We have an Instagram page. Um, or our website, and you can email us, send us a message on Facebook, and uh, we're willing to do whatever we can to help families. So, 
reality is, is if we want to form saints, we can't do it without the Blessed Mother. If you look at any saint, the three things they had in common was the Eucharist, confessions, and devotion to Mary. That's yeah. that's the common denominator right there. So through Jesus, through Mary, right? The, amen. Amen. That's it. So And thank you so much for coming on our show and talking to all these people about um, about families and making saints. So thank you so much. Thank you, Pamela. God bless you.